Sefer B'midbar, Parshat Naso, on mindful materialism. In chapter 6 of the Book of Numbers, we see a whole chapter devoted to a peculiar practice that we don't discuss much today. The Nazarite vow, a vow of asceticism, which we don't see undertaken anymore because there's no temple for the prescribed sacrifices. At any rate, we still read from the Torah. If any men or women explicitly utter a Nazarite's vow to set themselves apart from the Lord, they shall abstain from wine and any other intoxicant. They shall not drink vinegar of wine or of any other intoxicant. Neither shall they drink anything in which grapes have been steeped, nor eat grapes fresh or dried. Throughout their term as Nazarite, they may not eat anything that is obtained from the grapevine, even seeds or skin. Throughout the term of their vow as Nazarite, no razor shall touch their head. It shall remain consecrated until the completion of their term as Nazarite of the Lord, the hair of their head being left to grow untrimmed. Throughout the term that they have set apart for the Lord, they shall not go in where there is a dead person. Even if their father or mother or their brother or sister should die, they must not become defiled for any of them, since hair set upon them for their God upon their head. Throughout their term as Nazarite, they are consecrated to the Lord. So in essence, this was a way of a person setting themselves apart from the special spiritual practices of refraining from consuming grape products, cutting their hair, and being around the dead. What a praiseworthy person this would have been who would dedicate themselves to remaining in such a state of holiness. But why was such an odd and specific practice necessary? One answer we can glean from the Talmud is that alcohol can lead to sin and disgrace. The Gemara tells us, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi says, Why is the portion of a Nazarite placed adjacent to the portion of a Sota? Numbers chapter 6 with Numbers chapter 5. This was done to tell you that anyone who sees a Sota in her disgrace, as she undergoes the rite of the bitter water, should renounce wine as wine is one of the causes of sexual transgression, as it looses inhibitions. Seeing how a person's passions can cause them to abandon their values, we see that it is sometimes good to take our intensity in the opposite direction, to ensure that we're set apart from certain dangers. And so, we see why a person in ancient times would avoid wine. Drunkenness, in most cases, is not conducive to holiness. We also see why the Nazarite would not want to come in contact with the dead, with the impurities involved in that according to the biblical ethos. But what's so holy about the third restriction, not cutting one's hair? One answer comes from the Sforno, who says that such a person learns to not be overly concerned with their physical attraction and bodily pleasures. And a surprisingly more symbolic answer comes from the classic modern commentary of Rabbi Shimshon Rafal Hirsch who says that because hair keeps us warm from the cold outside, by growing long hair, one creates a barrier between themselves and the outside world. And so we can look up to the Nazarites of old as heroes of holiness who kept themselves for a period of time unpolluted by the outside world. They can teach us that life is not about mere pleasure or materialism, but commitment to God. This is such an important lesson in our day. As materialism runs rampant and there is such a strong, pervasive desire to buy the next Apple product, new clothes, and a bigger house, 
We should, in fact, uphold the Jewish value of asceticism as we make our life choices. But is that the whole story? On the eighth day of the Nazarite vow, the Torah commands a sin offering, which makes Rashi wonder, why would someone doing this holy undertaking need to bring a sin offering? Rashi finds an answer from, from Rav Elazar HaKapar in the Talmud, who says, his sin consists in that he has afflicted himself by abstaining from the enjoyment of wine. The teaching goes on, just as this person in afflicting himself by abstaining only from wine is nevertheless called a sinner in the case of one who afflicts himself by abstaining from everything through fasting or other acts of mortification, all the more so is he described as a sinner. We see the Jewish tradition interpret that the very act of depriving oneself of the pleasure was a kind of sin. We learn that impoverishment should not be romanticized. We are taught to understand that denying ourselves some pleasures is really an opportunity most afforded to the privileged. Fasting, knowing we'll have a meal ready for us when we're done, can almost be an insult to the people with no choice at all about when they get to eat. While asceticism is definitely not the dominant ethic of Judaism, it is still a real teaching in our Torah. And it should teach us to first curb our materialism and then strive to create a world in which everyone has the luxury of choosing to take on these practices of self-denial. We learn from our texts that we need to find a middle ground between materialism and deprivation. The goal of Jewish practice is neither to reject the pleasures of this world nor blindly accept them all but rather to sanctify and elevate the pleasures of this world. With Jewish laws relating to food, time, and marital intimacy, we see that pleasures are not rejected, but blessed and refined to be elevated toward a higher purpose. Instead of denying ourselves outright as the Nazarites did, we can elevate the sparks of all of the resources we're given, which in turn will help us heal ourselves and be fueled and strengthened to change the world. Shabbat Shalom.